So there was a, a woman in the hospital giving birth. She uh, lost consciousness, and she actually went into a coma. By the way, don't get this is just a joke. So I don't want anyone to say, "Oh my God, who did this happen to?" Like, <laughs> I don't want to give anyone any stress for even a second, for even for the sake of, of a joke. It's not a real person. It didn't happen. Okay. So this now I can really lay into it. This woman, she went into a coma for six months. Anyways, when she woke up, she found out she had given birth to twins, a boy and a girl. And the doctors told her that because you were unconscious, your sister named the children for you. She's thinking, oh no, my sister, she's kind of goofy. You know, what did she name my children? So they said, well, she named your daughter Denise. And the woman thinks, oh, Denise, that's, that's a normal enough name. Okay, fine, I can live with that. What'd she name my son? Your sister named your son? Denephew. Denise and Denephew. Denise and Denephew. Okay. So we're talking about names. We are starting now the second of the five books, which is called Shmois. Shmois means names. The Eile Shmois B'nei Yisrael, Haboy Mitzrayimo. These are the names of the Jewish people who came into Egypt. Now, as you probably know, the, the five books of Moses also have names that they, titles that they're known by in English. So like Bereshus, we call it Bereshus in the beginning, but uh, in English, it comes from the Greek, it's called Genesis. Mm -hmm. So what is Shmois in English? What? Exodus. Exodus. Now, let me ask you a question. Which name makes more sense if it's a book that tells the story about how the Jewish people went into Egypt and came back up out of Egypt? So what name makes more sense? Shmois, which means names, or Exodus, which means exit, leaving? I mean, it's, it's, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, the name Exodus for the book... <coughs> makes a lot more sense based on what the book is about. And the name names, Shmois, is a little bit funny. So, uh, that's what I want to talk about today. Why is the book that's about the Jewish people's descent and subsequent redemption from Egypt called names? So I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, and I hope I can get through this story because it's a very, very touching story, at least in my opinion. Um, it, it's a true story. It's a real story. I actually know, um, and you may know, the family that it happened to. Um, the story was recorded, it was written by uh, Mrs. Yaffe, Shlemy Yaffe is a friend of mine. His mother wrote this story about her younger sister's story as a hidden child during the Holocaust. And her sister is Tauber, Yankee Tauber, here from Five Towns. That's his mother. So, um, anyways, here's the story. You may know that the Nazis came to Hungary rather late in the war and the Jews were relatively safe, relatively, 
for a longer period of time in Hungary than in other places in Europe. A Jewish woman, a young Jewish mother, gave birth to a daughter in Hungary on the eve of the Nazi invasion occupation. She's in the hospital and the nurse comes to bring her the baby and she sort of just roughly tosses the, the baby at the foot of her bed and she says, I don't know why we have to deal with these Jewish brats. Within a year's time Hitler will be here and there will be no more Jewish children. Why are we wasting time and resources and money for children who are not going to be alive? And the young mother, obviously she gasped, she was horrified to hear such a thing. Here's her beautiful little daughter and this, this, this cruel nurse is speaking this way. And that moment she heard a voice, another woman's voice saying, there, there, it's okay, it's okay. She looked over and the bed next to her was the old farmer's wife. She says, it's okay, don't listen to that mean nurse. Listen, I'll take care of your baby for you. Your baby will live. Give her to me. I never had children. Give your baby to me. And this young mother is horrified. First the nurse comes in, she's speaking so cruel. Now the, the, the farmer's wife in the bed next to her says, give the baby to me. She says, no, I'm not giving the baby to you. This is my baby. She's a Jewish baby. And she's going to be raised as a Jew. She says, the, the farmer's wife says, she won't. She won't live. She won't survive. The mother says, yes, she will survive. The Jewish people have been persecuted in every single generation, and we always survived. And at that moment, she remembered that that very day, the birth of her precious daughter was Purim. And of course, what did they name their daughter? Esther, Esther Malka. Perfect. What name? What other name could you give a Purim baby? A precious little girl born on Purim. Esther Malka. Esterke for short, that's what they called her. They called her Esterke. So, um, when Esterke was about two, they left their home. They were herded into a ghetto. Every day the, the men were forced at gunpoint to go work, back-breaking slave labor. Then there were the occasions when groups would be rounded up onto cattle cars, they would leave the ghetto and they wouldn't come back. And life was getting worse and worse for the Jews in Hungary. Finally, when Esterka was three years old, on her third birthday, Purim, that was the last happy day that the family had in the ghetto. They, um, her mother made her a special dress, a Purim costume. Of course, who did she dress as for Purim? Esther Malka. She made her a little dress out of a, a lace curtain. She made a crown out of some old wrapping paper and cardboard. And she dressed little Estherke as Esther the, the Queen Esther. And her father read the Megillah. And every time they came to the name Esther, the other children would look over at Esterke and smile. And she knew she was very proud. She was very proud of her name. That night, the night of her third birthday, as her mother put her to bed, she said to her, she says, Mommy, 
I'm so lucky to be Esther. As I said, that was the last happy day they had. At, at, at that point, it was obvious what was happening, and they had to get rid of her. They couldn't keep her there in the ghetto anymore. So they made arrangements. They found a, a peasant family that lived in some far, far off, remote little, tiny little village in the middle of some farmland where, where the Nazis wouldn't even be interested to go look. And uh, they made arrangements that Azteca should, should be shipped off there. So what happened, there was this a young man, handsome young man, blonde hair, blue-eyed, and his, uh, Esterka's mother spoke to him and said, uh, you know, this, yes, this is the girl that we spoke about. And uh, he says, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait for you to speak to her. And as the young, handsome, blonde hair, blue-eyed man is waiting, Esterka's mother says to her, she says, you're going to go with this man right now. So she says, are you and Tati coming with? She says, no, we're not coming with. You're going to go with him? And you have to remember, you are not Esterke. Your name is Ava. And she started crying. She says, I have to go, and, I, and, and you and Tati can't come with. I can't have... My mommy, I can't have my tati, I can't even be Esterke, I can't have my name. She started crying, so the young man with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, he came over and he very calmly said to her, in Yiddish, Esterke, you're going to bring your name with you, but it's going to be your secret. Every night, you'll say Shema silently in your heart, and you'll remember that your name is Asterke, and who your mommy is, and who your tati is, but it's a secret, and it has to stay right in here. And he pointed at the little girl's heart. And the little girl says to the young, blonde haired, blue eyed man speaking fluent Yiddish, Do you also have a secret? He says, Yeah, I also have a secret. And with that, he, uh, he took her into the countryside and she was brought to a peasant family. <coughs> After the war there was a complete discombobulation. People couldn't find each other. Transportation was completely cut off. Railroads were not operating. The roads were bombed. But miraculously this, this young mother and father survived. They survived and they set out to look for Esterke. So they knew where she was. They knew the town. <clears throat> They'd never been there, but they knew the town. They knew the name of the family. They knew the address. So they come to the town, and, and they made a plan. The young father and mother, they made a plan. Look, we can't shock this girl. You know, she's become acclimated to a different life. And they knew the stories. They were all hearing the stories about, about the hidden children. First of all, they didn't 100% know they were going to find her because there were stories where the peasants who agreed to take Jewish children <coughs> ended up handing them straight over to the Nazis. Then there were other stories where the peasants wouldn't give the children back, where they kept it, where they, 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 they grew attached to the children. They didn't want to hand them back to their families. 
So the young husband and, and wife, they made up a plan. They said, here's our plan. We're not gonna say, we're not gonna go up to her. We're not gonna say who we are. We're just gonna say hi. We're strangers to her, remember, and just make friends with her and let her get used to us. And we'll see how long it takes. And then after a while, you know, after she warms up to us and she decides we're nice people, then we'll start to hint to her that we're her mother and father and she's, you know, our daughter. That was the plan. That was absolutely the plan. They <coughs> walked up to this uh, little house and little cottage, and they see a little sunburned girl with matted dark hair with bare feet playing in the dirt outside of the cottage. And they, they, they see this is, this is their daughter. But they don't say anything. They get closer so they don't startle her, and they say, hello, little girl, how are you doing? Come here. And she turns around, and she runs inside, and they hear her screaming, Ma, come outside, there are strangers here. So a woman, peasant woman, comes out of the, <clears throat> of the cottage. She's wearing a black kerchief on her head. And she holds the little girl by her hand. And she looks at this young couple. And she has this completely blank expression. Like, there's no expression behind her eyes to reveal what she's thinking or not thinking. She just gives them this sort of stony gaze. And she tightly squeezes the little girl's hand. Now, when that happened, that moment, the mother, the real mother, has this flashback to the, the day when her daughter was born, the day in the hospital, to that farmer's wife sitting or lying next to her in the bed next to her in the hospital saying, give me the child, give me the child. And she sees now her daughter with this peasant woman holding her hand so firmly and looking at them with no recognition, no, not a word, not a anything. And at that moment, she just broke down. The mother, the real mother, she broke down. And their whole plan went out the window. The whole plan that they're going to gradually warm up to her. And she just screams out, Esterke! Like, that's it. Plan's out the window. Esterke! And all of a sudden, it's like, the little girl woke up from a dream. And her demeanor, her face, everything just changed. And she looks at this young couple. She says, Mommy, Tati, and she runs to them and embraces them. So I tell you this story because I think it illustrates to us the power of a Jewish name the power of Jewish identity and how even in a situation where one is in a veritable slumber that there's a way of calling upon that, that, that true identity and, and reawakening it. That's the power of the Jewish name which is the Jewish identity. On a little bit of a lighter note I'll tell you a story that happened in less 
harrowing times. A story that happened, a little vignette, happened in the 1980s on Wall Street. In, uh, in the 80s, there was a big, big hedge fund guy named uh, Sanford Bernstein. He was managing hundreds of millions of dollars. Big, big, successful, totally secular Jewish guy. And he was rocking and rolling on Wall Street. And not religious at all, intermarried. And uh, he met a rabbi and he started getting into Judaism and almost like in spite of himself, he became completely religious. And when he did, he took out a full page ad in the New York Times, whatever that costed in those days. This is in the middle, you know, this is in the 80s. You know, this is Reagan's economy, the, the Wall Street in the 80s. And he took out a big full page ad in the New York Times. The big letters just said, call me Zalman. He's not going by Sanford anymore. He's going, his name is Zalman Chaim. Call me Zalman. And he told the whole Wall Street, that's it. So just by saying, just by using a Jewish name, call me Zalman, that said everything that it needed to say. That was the message. A Jewish name speaks volumes, speaks infinity. So now let's, let's talk about, let's return to our, our, our question. You remember our original question. We're in the second of the five books of Moses. And in English it's called Exodus, which is a very obviously fitting title because it's a book about Exodus. It's, about a, it's a book about the Jews going down into Egypt and coming out. How come in Hebrew it's called Ve'ele Shmois? Now you could say, oh, because that's the first unique word of the first verse. No, it's not just that. It's not happenstance, not convenience, not convention. The book is called Shmois because if you want to know the secret to preserving Jewish identity, even in a Mitzrayim, even in Egypt, even in the darkest exile, you want to know the secret? Shmois. Ve'ele Shmois b'nei Yisrael. These are the names of the Jews. These are the Jewish names. That as long as the Jews had their identity, they would be able to be redeemed. You think about it like this. 210 years the Jews are in exile in Egypt, in a, in a world totally antithetical to their own values. After 210 years, how can we expect there to even be a Jewish people left to redeem? Okay, God comes, he wants to send his redeemer, sending Moses to take the Jews out. Well, how do we know there even are any more Jews? Assimilation can take place very rapidly. Over two centuries, and yet, the secret is they had their names. Let me bring it down a little bit. When we want to reach out to a Jew, when we want to wake up a Jew, what do we do? We don't tell the Jew how important Judaism is. We don't sell the Jew on the importance of mitzvahs. We tell the Jew how Jewish he is. Which is partially why I think so many, it's just a fact, so many thousands, tens of thousands of Jews in our generation have returned to Jewish observance based on a question, excuse me sir, or excuse me ma'am, are you Jewish? 
I remember when I was a yeshiva bacher, Friday afternoons they would close up the yeshiva and I would go stand out in front of Columbia University, in between Columbia and JTS, that was my spot. And for a couple of hours, every Erev Shabbos, I'd stand with my tefillin and with the tea lights, the Shabbos candles and the Shabbos candle lighting guys, excuse me sir, excuse me ma'am, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? Who are you? You know, there's an expression, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's exactly true when it comes to Judaism. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Or maybe we should put it more like this. It's knowing who you are. As long as the Jew knows who he or she is, everything's going to be okay. And therefore, if I were to ask you, what's the most important concept in Judaism? What's the most important idea? Not philosophically, what's the biggest idea? I'm saying, practically speaking, what is the one idea that must be preserved before all else? Is it monotheism? Is it the divinity of the Torah? Is it the coming of the messianic era? And I would say all of these are indispensable to Judaism. You don't have Judaism without any of these ideas. You need all of these ideas for Judaism. But you know what? If there are no Jews, <laughs> what's, what's going to be with Judaism? That's to preserve Judaism. But how do you preserve the Jews? The Jews have to know that they're Jews. So the most important idea is Jewish identity. And when Jews have a Jewish self-concept, a Jewish name, then Judaism is preserved. Then Judaism is alive. So that's it. That's, that's, the, that's our lesson. You have to know who you are. You have to know who, who your parents are. You know, Yisrael is an acronym. Yud Sin Resh Aleph Lamed. It's not just a reference to Jacob, whose name was also Yisrael or Israel, but it's a reference to all of our fathers and our mothers. Yeah, they're all included in that one name. Because the Yud is Yitzchok and Yankif. The Sin is Sarah. The Reish is Rivka and Rachel. The Aleph is Avraham. And the Lamed is Leah. So in the word Yisrael, you have all of our holy patriarchs and matriarchs. In other words, you have the entire idea of the golden chain of the Jewish people that reaches back to our very origins. That when you know who you are, you know who your parents are, you know who your grandparents are, you know your origins, you know your identity, your true identity. Like Esterke, who preserved her identity because of a Jewish name and was able to come back to Jewish observance and to raise Jewish children and grandchildren because she had a Jewish name. So that, that, that's a lesson for all of us. We have to know, we have to be clear about our Jewish identity. When you're talking also about the chinuch of our children, how we educate our children, what do we educate them? Primarily, most important thing we need to teach them, they are Jews. Teach them who they are. The whole Judaism isn't applicable to them until they know that they're the Jews. So first and foremost, tell your children how Jewish they are. And tell them that it is the essence of who they are. And that, that, that their deepest identity, deeper than anything else, is the fact that they are Jews. 
and that they are children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Rebecca, and Rachel, and Leah. And when they have that, then everything else falls into place. And the same with ourselves. In other words, what's your New York Times full-page ad? What's your call me Zalman? What's your statement to yourself and to the world that your Jewish identity is the core of who you are? There are many different ways that we look at ourselves, how we describe ourselves. This is my job, maybe. That's one way. This is my, uh, my age. This is my, um, my nationality. This is something that I'm an expert in. These are all ways of describing ourselves, and we might identify with some of these things to a certain extent or to a larger extent. But our core identity, when you get to the bottom of it, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I am a Jew. I have my Jewish identity. And when that is intact, then we can go into a Mitzrayim and we can come back out.